Welcome to another edition of the Week 10 Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and joining me, as he does every week, on a gradual reloading protocol after a late night <laughs> Christmas party that we were both attending last night, it is John Kraft. What's up, John? I'm here. I, I think I'm starting to get upset that my bold prediction was a Warriors-Grizzlies 1-2 uh, game on Christmas, and it should have been a Pelicans-Grizzlies 1-2 game on New Year's Eve. The Southwest Wrong Division. Holiday. Southwest Division uh, is one that we will discuss more in depth in this episode because I feel like we need to sort through what's real and what's not with the top of the Western Conference. But right now, the Grizzlies are second in the conference behind those New Orleans Pelicans at 17-9. They're fourth in the NBA. Offensive rating at 113.3. That's good for ninth in the NBA. Defensive rating at 110.4, up to sixth in the NBA. Both top tens. Uh, for the first time this season, net rating at a 2.9, which is good for seventh in the league. Point differential, according to Cleaning the Glass, is at a four, which is sixth in the NBA. We are going to get into the games that happened this week, two victories, and we're going to get to our previews of a big week ahead against a couple of Eastern Conference opponents that are going to be really interesting to talk about. But we are going to start as we do every week with the news. John, you want to get us started? Yes. Yeah, so on uh, December 7th, uh, Zaire Williams finally returned in a win against the Thunder. We finally saw him. I mean, it's kind of sort of crazy to think about that he, you know, he's only played now two games the entire season, and we didn't have him for the entire season after our, all our excitement and preseason predictions of potentially a jump, of what he can do, you know, and kind of him replacing the minutes of, uh, you know, maybe playing even more minutes now that Melton and Kyle Anderson were gone. And we're finally starting to see him return. And so far, and I know we're going to probably ease him in, it seems like he's kind of getting those uh, beginning of the second and fourth quarter LaRavia minutes um, so far. I'll be interested to see if that changes, you know, as he gets a few more games in. He played exactly 12 minutes against the Thunder, and then last night against the Pistons he played about 16 and a half minutes. So it seems like it's going to be a short ramp-up period. He looks like he's grown like three inches, which yeah, is nuts. Looks huge. And uh, it's nice to have him back just as another weapon off the bench, especially when LaRavia has missed the last seven yeah. games, which at some point we'll need to discuss LaRavia's injury. Uh, well, the bigger injury news was an unfortunate update that we got about Desmond Bain. And I'll read verbatim what the PR team tweeted out. Desmond Bain is progressing in his rehabilitation from a right big toe sprain and a sesamoid injury and has been cleared to begin a gradual reloading protocol. If the toe responds positively to the protocol, a return to play is expected in three to four weeks. Well, that was not the news. Uh, I was hoping to to receive on Desmond Bain. We knew we had speculated on our episode earlier in the week that a uh, an evaluation had been done. They said the reevaluation period would be about at this time, and it looks as if they're going to need another uh, maybe up to a month, which is unfortunate because we have a few big national TV games that we'd love to have Bain, uh, you know, on the floor uh, in those games, but. I don't know. It seems as though they're playing it safe, and the sesamoid word was thrown out there as, as kind of a new thing. So maybe in the reevaluation, they drilled down a little bit more to what was causing the issue. And he's still shooting around before games. It seems like they're taking it very slow with Bain. What do you think when you heard the news? Yeah. So I was, I was, you know, I've been worried about the real reevaluation. Um, as opposed to a ramp up type language. And so the reevaluation was that now it's going to be like three to four weeks. And that was very disappointing. And obviously, you know, short term really wanted to see him in some of these nationally televised holiday games. And so it's a little sad that it looks like that might not happen. And, uh, but you know, we're winning, uh, as we've talked about, we're half a game out of first place. It's, uh, you know, it's hard to want to rush somebody back and potentially risk further injury um, when we can kind of take it slow and make sure that it's not as big of a deal. And uh, I will say that for whatever reason, um, and I don't know why he decided to do this, but John ja Morant went out of his way last night in his post, uh, in his press conferences post game to repeat over and over again that Bain was fine and that, you know, and kind of inferring that the team and that the his teammates have more information than they're giving to the media 
but that we're, they'll be fine. And he kept repeating it over and over again that he's not worried about Desmond at all. Similar, you know, similar language to the way he kind of talked about the Jaron injury as far as like this is the close that. So hearing that, it does make me want to, you know, uh, be hopeful that the three weeks, it's more three weeks than four weeks, and that, that though uh, everybody was freaking out about that if, like that if it recovers that he should be back in three to four weeks, uh, that maybe the if is more of a win. So, For what it's worth, three to four weeks, uh, three weeks from the day that they announced it, which was December 7th, would be December 28th. We have a game in Toronto on the 29th, and of course the big New Year's Eve game at home against the New Orleans Pelicans on the 31st. So it would be great to have Bain back for that. And uh, the, the offense, though, is still humming along without him. Uh, yet we know that down the stretch, especially we're going to need him to be back on the floor. Also, I was doing a review of my preseason bets and I had a Desmond Bain, 22 plus points per game. The criteria is he has to play 41 games in the season. So I'm, I'm keeping a very close eye <laughs> on this, on this stretch here of how many yeah. games he's actually going to be missing, but I don't think it's going to be uh, much more than, you know, this, this five or six week period barring another injury, but right. Our front office and our medical team tends to play it safe, and it's so far worked out for them. So, All right, let's discuss the two games that we had this week. Two wins, first against the Oklahoma City Thunder a few days ago, and then second against the Detroit Pistons last night. Let's start with the Thunder. John, what did you see in that game? So, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, we we had hoped for two professional wins this week, and I don't know if it gets any more professional than looking at a box score and seeing that every single player on your team that played had a positive plus minus. Um, but it wasn't like some huge, you know, it wasn't like a 50 point blowout, uh, but it was like, you know, a very good, uh, you know, win where we just kind of led from the beginning, stayed up kind of double digits, and then kind of ballooned it up to 20 there at the end. And so, uh, so very cool to see kind of like everybody played well, but nobody. You know, uh, we didn't we didn't go crazy, so there was no like huge shot variance or anything like that. But just a good win, we're better than you, uh, type game. And obviously, this game, and we'll talk about the the Pistons game in a minute. But this game, it's kind of like played with them, uh, just played a little better than them through the first three quarters, and then the fourth quarter poured it on and and made it a twenty point blowout. Yeah, it was a, it was a great game all around. I did think that Ja actually started kind of slow. Yeah. It felt as if he was. They, they walked out thinking that the defense would just kind of give them whatever they wanted. And also a, a storyline that I, – and I don't want to – I don't like starting with negative after two wins. I do think Ja is starting to complain a little bit more to the officials. I noticed that a little bit in the OKC game in the first half and then in the second half, uh, specifically against the Detroit Pistons in this last game. I felt like he just had to walk away a few times from the officials. He got – I believe at Tech in in the Pistons game last night, and then uh, just had to you know calm down a little bit. And I think he is at a point where, on some of his drives, he just attacks the paint so aggressively that it's kind of like holding in football. They could probably call something every time, but they're just not going to. And I also think when Ja misses a layup that he would normally make, the knee jerk reaction is to to say he got fouled and. He might have a point at, at some right. in some instances, but for the most part, I'd love to see Ja maybe tone that back just a little bit because I think when you rely too much on the officials, it's gonna you're you're gonna start to get out of your rhythm. You're gonna stop playing right. your game and you're gonna start playing a little bit more for fouls. This has been a first half problem in both of these games. And then one thing that I wanted to note is the Grizzlies are fifth in third quarters in terms of scoring uh, in the league. And so they all, in these last two games, you saw them come out and and put it on these teams in the third quarter to really stretch the lead out to a point where they could take their foot a little bit off the gas in the fourth quarter and just seal it at the end. But the third quarters are are where we've won, really, in the the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, I I definitely, I think, uh, you know, you... You know, basically, I know Jaws getting frustrated because teams are fouling him. I think that is a pretty at this point with Jaws shooting thirty eight percent from three, uh, he is unguardable. And I think that now teams are basically saying be physical with him in the lane, see where the refs are, you know, are. And I think so. I think in some senses, Jaws, especially early, wants to try to set a tone with the refs. But but it is getting bad. We do not want to get to Luca 
esque levels of complaining. Um, and so hopefully we can just play through it. Uh, you know, it is crazy because, you know, I know we were all texting with each other that we were looking rough in the first half and the jaw was weird. And yet Jaw still gets a triple double. It's unbelievable. So, like, like he still has an amazing game. Um, and, you know, and even the funny, you know, it's interesting. I mean, even with all of his frustration, he like what had eight rebounds in the first half or something. So he, uh, you know, even as we complain with that, uh, it continues to kind of the other little things, defense, uh, getting rebounds. He continues to like improve, which is really exciting with his usage rate. So I thought Brandon Clark had a, a couple of good games, just energy off the bench. He had seventeen and eight in the OKC game, and then also Santi Aldama off the bench as well. Uh, two for four from three, five for eight from the field, had fourteen points. Both Brandon and, and Santi were you know plus eleven and plus nine respectively. I think that's a really important duo off the bench because those are the two guys replacing your starting front court of Jaron Jackson, Steven Adams, and those two guys can do different things. And I feel as though Santi is actually more of the Jaron replacement when he comes in and BC is more the Adams replacement, which is interesting because you look at their respective heights and you don't expect that to be the case uh, on, on paper, but that's really how they play. I thought Santi as a, as a spot up option, especially from the corner, we are just a corner three team and it's, it's really showing not only with Santi, but also David Roddy. Uh, Tyus has continued his his positive play. Uh, yes. He's just kind of doing what needs to be done based on the lineups around him. And as we mentioned earlier, Zaire just coming off the bench, having uh, just a couple of, of really solid games. You can definitely tell he's getting his legs still under him. Uh, but he had his first lob of the season uh, last night against Detroit. One other note I wanted to make specifically about the OKC game, I really appreciated the Jenkins angry timeout there in the second half because you could tell this was not a game the Grizzlies were necessarily going to lose. And you could sense this sense, the the, the lackadaisical play, uh, especially getting back on defense. That was, that was Jenkins big thing is, you know, it's fine. You can take a quick shot on offense, but you better, you better get back. And that was especially uh, directed to Jaron. And it's, it's, it's really great to have a coach, I think, who will still hold his team to the high, high standard on the defensive side, especially even though they are obviously going to win. Right. They're going to cruise to a victory, but just keeping them sharp. Right. Yeah, and, and, and actually, you know, and I think it's great in the sense of you can see uh, Jenkins, um, the Jenkins, you know, and the guy that got his biggest fury was Jaron who's our best defensive player, you know, and they yelled and then it's great to see that like they can like hug after the game and be fine that like, it's like, you know, in fact, Jaron came out and played, uh, you know, just was amazing the rest of the game defensively. And so that was exciting to see. And then with that kind of to talk about the defense, once again, you know, Shea Gillis Alexander, uh, I think in the last 10 games has 30 points except for two games. And those are the two games that he played the Grizzlies and Dylan uh, guarded him really well. Um, unfortunately, I think Roddy struggled a little bit foul, you know, uh, kind of fell for his foul tricks. And, uh, and so, uh, I think Shea had was four, four for 13. So we really, we really limited him. Unfortunately, he had a lot of free throws, a ton of free throws and that might, you know, and honestly thinking back to discussion, that maybe was one of the reasons why jaw was frustrated was that he felt like Shea was getting these ticky tack foul calls and he wasn't, you know, still, I don't want jaw to, I, I you know, I think jaw gets, gets out of his head and uh, gets in his head a lot, I mean, and want to get out of it <laughs> with the refs. So, so, but it was just another good example of these kind of, uh, and, and I think going forward, uh, because the teams we'll talk about, um, as well as some of our rivals, uh, I like seeing these more heliocentric kind of high usage. One player has high usage, uh, you know, teams that we're playing and Dylan being able to kind of shut that player down this is sort of what we want to see as we approach the playoffs. And so it's, it's a good to see that, that we kind of uh, limit that, at least so far with the Thunder in two games, with our kind of full defensive uh, group. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Detroit game. To me, the biggest story coming out of this game was Steven Adams, unfortunately, had a rolled ankle there uh, at the very end of the game. It was about four minutes left. And the we game like, we like rolling ankles at end of games. We sure do, and it was it was a, a scenario where you never want to blame coaching for something that just is a routine. You can't predict the injury 
I think there's probably going to be people like, why wasn't why weren't our starters out of the game at that point? But if you watch it back, the Pistons actually were starting to make a slight comeback. We didn't think the game was actually going to be in doubt, but the 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 Grizzlies had dominated the entire game on the interior. Uh, and having Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson Jr. in the game was going to be your best chance of just closing it out, putting the game to bed. And it's just an unfortunate right. coincidence that it happened. We still haven't received an update on what's going to happen with Adams. He is tended to be more uh, on the tougher side, I would say. Yeah. He's probably going to try to be back way sooner than the timeline will be for him. But... We'll see with Adams. To me, that was that was the biggest story coming yeah, out. Yeah. So he and and he apparently told everybody he'd be fine. You know, he's he's had a, a sore shoulder, a sore hip. Now he's gonna now he's gonna have a bad ankle. Um, you know, I my my expectation in playing uh, a team like the Hawks coming up, and I, obviously we'll get to them later. It, but with a Thursday showdown against the Bucks, I, I feel like there will be. Uh, I think the team will lean heavily towards resting him possibly to try to make sure that he plays Thursday. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. You know, like he does not like sitting. He likes playing. So we'll see how that works. But it's but the little the nagging injuries are starting to catch up with him. And I feel like when you look at last year, that was a big, um, you know, that we love players who want to play through injuries. But at the same time, um, you know, a really limited Steve Adams is much worse than a fully healthy one. So. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. to me with the quietest 20 points of the season. It was crazy when they flashed the player of the game graphic at the end of the game. And I know that a lot of that was mainly his play on the defensive end because he had two steals and four blocks. But the fact that he had 20 points as well, and they were just so quiet. And I love that. I love that Jaron is consistently getting out there, getting 20 points between three and four blocks a game right now, which would lead the NBA. He needs to accrue a few more games played to actually qualify for the league leaders in that category. But so far, so good, because he would by far be the leader through you know, the seven or so games that he's yep. played so far. So I thought that his performance was great job, came out, did what he needed to do, got everybody involved, had 12 assists. And then Brandon Clark, again, like I said, another 17 points that he poured in off the bench. And there wasn't much tra- challenge from the Pistons side. They're missing Kate Cunningham. So you knew you had to get probably a big game from Bogdanovich or Ivy or mm-hmm. Sadiq Bay or one of those guys if, if the Pistons were going to hang. And it's just really hard Hard to beat a team like the Grizzlies on their home floor if you're the Pistons without your best yeah. player. I mean, it's interesting, you know, I think one thing to always, it's always interesting to me is I do think sometimes Dylan defensively is struggles when he's not playing against an elite player because uh, Bogdanovich looked right yesterday. And I think Dylan really liked trying to help off him and, and kind of was doing some things. And uh, it was definitely, you know, I mean, not to be negative about Dylan because I still think he played great um, and was a winning player in the game. But it is always interesting to me. Uh, when uh, the way you know that Bogdanovich is a much is a definitely an inferior player to a player like Shea Gillis Alexander, but it felt like Dylan, you know, was was definitely giving up a little bit more with him than he was with Shea. It's just always interesting to see. Uh, the other thing, and I just you know, and I guess we don't talk about him enough, uh, and people make fun of me for talking about him a lot, but you know, Conchar just with another solid game. Oh, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, I know. I'm preaching to your choir. I'm, it's more of the people, the listeners, that give me that give me grief for the concha I love. But, you know, I mean, a plus 19 for the game, uh, just, you know, kind of one of those solid eight points, four rebounds, uh, one assist, one steal, just kind of being in the right place a lot of times. Oftentimes it feels like he kind of gets a bucket or gets a leak out layup when, when the other team's sort of making a run or starting to feel themselves a little bit. So I just, uh, you know, again, just He's just quietly, uh, I think, done a very good job of, you know, filling in those Bane minutes. And so, anyway, so just kind of a shout out to that. That was another thing that I just noticed. Just a quiet, um, not not as, you know, obviously the 19 points for Jay was super quiet. But, uh, or 20 points, I mean, so. Yeah, anyway. I I couldn't agree more. I thought that he's he's just sort of been the connective tissue in a lot of these actions that are happening because the ball goes immediately through him. He is treating it like a hot potato in the best way where he just keeps it moving. You'll see oftentimes there might be a battle for a defensive rebound and it'll get tipped towards the out-of-bounds line and Conchar will just tap it right back in, start the fast break. And he's just a lot of this, this, 
the reason why these fast breaks and transition opportunities are not only starting but also finishing because like we mentioned on a couple of past episodes like he's just he's just a play finisher that I feel like Jaw's been able to rely upon and I liked your point on the last podcast too where we were talking about how you know the Melton we had we were recapping the Melton uh, return in the Philadelphia 76ers game and you were talking about how you know a lot of people are just linking Roddy to Melton but really it's Conchar who's come in and filled in what would be the backup two minutes and now he's starting without Bain and I think doing it a fine job he's he's getting the ball to the guys that need to have the ball and he's making the uh, small hustle plays that add up to having just a great plus minus and uh, a really efficient game when he's in. And and I think that's, you know, I mean, not to, not to get on the mountain stuff, because again, you know, Melton had an awesome game last night, 37 points. Uh, it was being tweeted about a bunch by that segment in the Grizz uh, Twitter that loves Melton. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm all for, I would love for Melton to be awesome, um, continue to be awesome. And I don't think that necessarily means that like the Grizzlies lost the trade or anything. Sometimes it's, when you have a player like Melton, who you don't think is good enough to be in your top like seven or eight big playoff minutes, but is really talented, sometimes just for team culture, it's better to have a player who does not who does not have, I guess, aspirations to be in the top seven, eight of a playoff, but is a solid guy that you can sign for a lot of years, uh, you know, and is gonna always is gonna be happy being a starter, is gonna be happy being the thirteenth guy on the bench. And that's Conchar. Like he is kind of that system team player, like we talked about, and uh, and so I just I think just kind of like unheralded. We don't really talk about him. You know, I'm sure maybe we'll get one or two walk off Conchar games before the season's over. But he's just been kind of quietly a pretty just really solid for us all season. He's so just a hashtag neat guy. Yes, you know? a neat guy. The other thing is, you know, I'd throw out Roddy too. Um, one of the things that's just interesting. He went one for two from three. But it's it's one of those things, uh, and thinking back about Jaron's zero and seven game at Pelicans, that that is kind of you know I'm glad his three point percentage is starting to creep back up. It really looks good. I think it's like forty four percent if you take that first game of zero and seven out. And, and just again, it's one of those great things about our coaching staff that long term view, which is we know what this guy shot in college, and I think they're going to be the same way with Laravia. And, and, you know, we're going to get mad if you don't shoot. In fact, like, uh, you know, you saw, I think it was in the Thunder game, LaRavia didn't shoot it and then passed it back to Jaw and it was a turnover. And Jaw, like, yelled at Roddy, shoot it. And I just think those are the kind of things. And so you see in a game like today that you uh, kind of made a, a pass, you know, towards the end of the shot clock, Jaw did, and he just put it up fast without even thinking it went in and, and that's kind of exciting too. That I think you know that that we I'm I'm not yet where I'm like every time he puts it up, it's like oh it's going in or I feel good about that shot. But I like the confidence the way our team operates in that way too. Dribbling a lot less. Yes. Good things are happening. Yes. Yes. So. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many unknowns. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, so we have this new segment we're going to roll out here, and it's going to, every week moving forward, we're going to be crowning an MVP of the week. We think this will be a great chance for us to have on paper a good review of, like, where were we in this segment of games, and it can span from three to four games in a Sunday to Saturday period, and who was the MVP of that week? And, and that way, we can look back on the season and see where things were trending, uh, where where different players shined, and it also give us an opportunity to, to truly recognize and, and parse through some of the perform- performances and crown that MVP. But in order to do that and to have a full season picture, we have to go backwards, and we have to, to award an MVP. Each of us are going to do our own ballots here going through 
each week of the season, and we have eight so far from the past eight weeks. And so let's start with week one. It was the games against the Knicks, the Rockets, and the Mavericks. Kraft, I will let you do the honors of crowning your MVP for yeah, week one. So week one, um, I def, you know, I think week one, uh, we we were, had a lot of like new guys that played well for us and stuff, but it, it seems pretty obvious to me that week one was a jaw week. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be one of those things where there's gonna be other weeks, uh, just as a spoiler, <laughs> where you know, I, in some ways you could probably always do a jaw week. There's a rare week where. Jaw isn't going to be the MVP completely, uh, but uh, but I think you know if Jaw, this is especially a week for this one. You know, I think in the Knicks game and the Rockets game in particular, uh, Jaw went crazy. Uh, Jaw had clutch baskets. Jaw brought comebacks. Uh, you know, especially against the Rockets, just you know dominated the game to bring us back in a, a game that we could not lose early. And uh, so I definitely am going Jaw on those on, on week one. Yeah, the way I thought about this is sort of the same problem as you where you look at the you purely box score it's going to be hard not to not to give this to jaw most of the times mm-hmm. but the way i'm looking at it is is more above average performance who was the furthest above their average or yeah who had a, a specific performance a specific moment that i felt though encapsulated or sealed a win and deserves to be recognized in this way but Week one, it was Jaw. He had 34 in the overtime win against the Knicks. He had 49 against the Rockets. And then, honestly, no one deserved it from that right. first Mavericks game. He had no. 20, but he was leading scorer. He, and and he, with he was there. the least terrible player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so we both had Jaw for week one. Yes. Week two was against Brooklyn, Sacramento, and Utah. Who'd you have for week two? So week two, I had I had Bain. That was sort of. Um, I mean, it's so funny to think back after the Mavs game. We were, we were beginning to wonder, you know. Bain's struggling. I think it's just a little weird shooting slump. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, I'm glad, you know, and it seems like that second half in Brooklyn, I mean, second half in Memphis against Brooklyn, uh, where Bain just sort of went crazy and and won that game. And then from there, Bain just was on fire. Uh, honestly, stayed on fire until he's hurt his toe. And that's why we were ready to back. I mean, he had, you know, him and Jaw together were, you know, making us a number one, number two offense in the league. It was crazy to see. But I, I'd definitely have to go with Bain for week two. Yeah, two wins there uh, at home against Brooklyn in Sacramento, but then that loss against Utah. And Bain, which is that 38-point perform- 38 performance, you have to give it to him. So I had him as, him as well. I actually, for week three, which was the second game against against Utah and then the Portland win and then the Charlotte win. To me, Charlotte, you can just kind of scratch off. Everybody deserves it for that game. We just absolutely blew them out. Mm. Utah was a tough loss where really nobody played very well. But then that Portland game right in between, I felt like we had an opportunity there to to potentially lose it. And then Bain had a 20-point fourth quarter in, in the win against Portland, including 10 made free throws down the stretch. And so I gave it to Bain for okay. week three as well. All right, so this will be our first disagreement. Although, Bain, uh, uh, you know, I, I have here could go Bain, could go Dylan. So I'm going to go with Dylan, and, and that's because he'd come back. He'd had a couple games to come back from his injury. And uh, for the first time, and obviously that, that one Jazz game was bad, but we were starting then 106-99. Uh, that we were starting to play good defense. Um, the defensive rating was starting to go up. Uh, I thought, you know, Anthony Simons ended up going off in the in the fourth quarter to bring that. You know, we were up pretty big on the Blazers. They made a big fourth quarter comeback when Dylan was on the bench and somebody else, and probably Roddy, probably Ray, somebody else was guarding him, uh, guarding Simons. But I thought Dylan kind of did that really good defense on on Simons and showed why he's important and. Uh, also, uh, having you know those two two straight games where he was letting Bain and Jaw have higher usage than him, and that made me good. So all that said, you know I think Bain is it's it's neck and neck, but I'm just going to go Dylan. So all right, week four. This is our first four game week. We had Washington, Boston, San Antonio. And then Minnesota. Who did you have for your Week Four MVP? Yeah, so it's really hard because in this one, um, you know, obviously we sat everybody, um, or no, no, we didn't sit anybody for that game. But we, but basically, somebody struggled in every game uh, of this kind of stretch. 
but overall, I'm I'm thinking Jaw. I think Jaw kind of, uh, especially I'm thinking the Boston game uh, where uh, you know you have an MVP candidate on the other side and Jason Tatum, and we basically. Uh, and they were beating us and we were struggling. And then jaw basically in the third quarter decided like, no, this isn't going to be a blowout. No, we are going to be competitive. And he just went crazy in that third quarter and just took over the game to where if like you were on Twitter, the timeline was full of Celtic fans saying they're, they're scared to death of jaw. Cause he just took over the game. And I feel like same thing with the Spurs, like jaw didn't have a great game. And that was kind of a bad game in general, especially when you see, the quality of the Spurs team, but jaw had clutch buckets. You know, he, he won the game when it mattered. He made the right decisions when it mattered. And, uh, you know, and then, um, and so, so in that sense, and then again, the Timberwolves game controlled the game. I thought, uh, you know, we were pretty ahead most of the game, but there were moments where it was a little bit in question. And every time, uh, jaw made the right decision, the right pass, the right shot. So, so I gave it to jaw. This was the hardest choice yeah. for me. There's and no, I think no it came down to it came down to the fact that really after this was I didn't see uh, whether it was another guy that was playing better or I know that for the past couple of weeks he's dealt with injury and will be for the next few. I gave it to Bain again. So this he was the he had three in a row for me and it's Can't because he had a nine point fourth quarter against Washington to take home that victory when it was really in doubt at some points because uh, we were not playing our, our best basketball and just couldn't hit shots. He had 32 in the game against San Antonio, and he was plus – he had 14 in the fourth quarter against San Antonio, and then he also had 24 against Minnesota in that game. Boston was the one where, you know, Ja was undeniably the, the, the guy yeah. in that game. But just because I think of just the one extra game of Bain, Bain's performance and the clutch buckets in the Washington and San, San Antonio games where those were two games you really did need to win because they were obviously inferior opponents. Boston could have gone either way. Minnesota was just fun all around. I felt like everybody played well. Yeah. So I just gave it by a nose to Bain. Yeah, and I and I totally get that. I think I'm. I, this is my um, narrative the Boston game, just the two MVP, two MVP possibilities going at it kind of, I think, outshines. But I totally get giving it to Bain, too. That was, again, one of those jaw or Bain type things on my notes. So, Yep. Week five, the next game against Washington where nobody played. Then we had the game against New Orleans where Jaron was back in New Orleans for that game, the TNT performance, and uh, unfortunately, C.J., was was the real MVP of that game overall for the game. And then OKC was the the win there that Shea Gilders Alexander was held to under 30 for the first time in a long time. And that's why I'm giving it to Dylan Brooks with two loss uh, one game where nobody played and we lost uh, another game where it was very frustrating for everybody involved. I did I did think Ja had had a great game there on national TV, but with the performance that Dylan put on OKC in a spot where you had lost two straight, really needed a, a win, and Shea was hot coming into that game, I uh, was going to give it to Dylan. Can't add any more to that. I give it to Dylan. That was a that was a Dylan week, and and in the game in a week where we sat people and didn't play everybody all the time and dealing with injuries, Dylan continues to be the guy that comes in and plays. And, you know, sometimes that means his, you know, his uh, usage numbers and efficiency isn't that great, but you just, the fact that he's keeps playing plays super hard. Um, I think you gotta give that week to Dylan too. So this was the interest, the most interesting part of the season uh, to me, because it was in the, in the few days where we weren't sure what Jaws' future was going to be no. because of that injury that he sustained. So you had a Brooklyn game where the guys just down the line fought very hard. KD ended up taking it home. You had the Sacramento game where Ja had a miraculous comeback to mm-hmm. almost pull it out against Sacramento. Uh, and then you had the Pelicans game at home where we just we just came out and flat beat them. And it was a great performance at the end of Thanksgiving week. So this was a tough one again for me because to me it was between Ja and Dylan, actually. Ja, with his return, I felt like was the most valuable player in Sacramento. I felt like he also just played so solid in that Pelicans game. And yet Dylan, to me, had his best defensive performance of the season, 
even with that Shea Gillis Alexander performance the week before against Zion Williamson in that Pelicans game, and he had 31 and carried the team uh, in that loss to Brooklyn. He put in 13 against Sacramento, had a fine game, and honestly guarded De'Aaron Fox to the point where the box score does not reflect the defense that Dylan was playing yeah. on Fox because Fox had just a couple that he shouldn't have uh, behind the arc. And so I give it again to Dylan for his performance mainly against Zion. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, um, uh, it's interesting. Uh, same thing here. So I have Dylan, you know, people are going to start to be worried about us, uh, giving <laughs> Dylan all these MVPs. But, yeah, no, I mean, the same thing, uh, just Dylan uh, bringing uh, – just bringing that energy and bringing um, all that effort. And I agree. Uh, the De'Aaron Fox had two shots with like kind of fadeaway threes with the shot clock running out that just happened to go in um, that should have been six points they didn't get. Uh, and that that ha- that feel like that happened a lot. It just Fox had one of those games. So, But I, I also agree with you. I say Dylan. All right. Week seven against the Knicks. We won in Madison Square Garden. Against the Timberwolves, we played our worst game of the season, a million turnovers, and then we had at home against the Philadelphia 76ers, a solid win there. Who'd you give it to in week seven? So this is going to be one of my weird ones. Uh, So obviously the New York game, Jaw was great. Uh, Had one of those clutch, just kind of, we have Jaw and y'all don't. Although, you know, Jalen Brunson was amazing in that game, but it was just one of those, we have the better guy who's going to close out the game. So that was definitely a Jaw game. Uh, obviously I think Minnesota was Jaw's worst game of the year. So it, just, it is hard for me to want to give jaw, you know, that, that really hurts when jaw's worst game of the year came this so week. And then the semi Sixers was again, uh, just kind of a, a, you know, like we talked about a kind of a solid professional win. So this is this week what I'm going to, I'm, I'm sort of going out of my way, but I'm going to give it to Steven Adams because I think, uh, Adams had a great game, great week was just a solid week. Um, I think played well against a really tall Knicks line and helped there. I think he, um, you know, had some key rebounds late in the game that kind of kept things going. The biggest thing was he was one of the few people that played well in the Timberwolves game. You know, we were laughing about how it was our worst game of the year. Uh, and, and we shot horribly and all these things, but we still out rebounded them by 30 rebounds. And that to me goes totally towards Steven Adams, because even if you look at the rebounding stats, if he's not getting the rebound, he's like boxing out two people, allowing somebody else to get the rebound. And then I just thought in the 76ers game, the story of that game was just the way Adams pestered Embiid, you know, again, weirdly Embiid scored a lot of points, but I just think Adams kind of controlled that game, messed with Embiid's head and those. And so like box score related, uh, this is one of those like the analytic nerds will be upset with me, but like, or maybe they won't, I don't know. But just looking at that week, it was just a Steven Adams, the importance of him week to me. So I'm going Adams. God, I love that pick. And honestly, you, you might've convinced me. I went because there weren't, there were, wasn't an obvious option here. And I felt like giving it to Bain and Dylan a few of those weeks when Ja really was the one who was carrying the load offensively. I decided yeah. that this was a Ja week for me because of the triple-double performance yeah. in Madison Square Garden and also yes. the 28 points against the 76ers when Embiid was also going off. So I felt like right. on the biggest stage and then also against a guy who would be considered sort of in his realm in terms of just pecking order in the whole league, showing up in those two performances, and it really hurts because I felt like that Timberwolves game was such a downer. Yeah. And so I went... Uh, I have to stick with my ballot that yeah. I submitted, and okay. I'm going to go with job. But I yeah. absolutely love the Stephen <laughs> Adams pick so much. And I, of course, totally understand. I mean, it's it's hard to not give uh, if Jaw gets a triple double, you know. And and honestly, a huge part of both of the two wins we had that week, it's hard to not give it to him. But I just thought, you know what, this will probably be my only chance to give Adams an MVP, and so let's do it. Okay, so we now have this current week that we just finished: Detroit, Miami, OKC, and Detroit. I decided to give this to Jaron Jackson Jr., and that mainly is because our defensive rating at the beginning of the week was 16th. It is now 6th, and it, to me, was the reason behind, the reason behind all that is because you had Jaron Jackson Jr. returning to the lineup, and you the trend line just automatically started to point upwards. The combination with he and Dylan on the floor has been spectacular. He did not have like a million great offensive performances in this week, but I just think that his steady presence in all of these games, besides the Miami game, which was a complete bench victory, and I, 
you know, it was tough not to reward somebody from that group right. during this week. But given that it's a four-game week and Jaron absolutely dominated inside and has brought our defense to a point where it's it's top ten and honestly could be top five here soon, I had to give it to Jaron. And I was happy for him to to get his first MVP of the season so far. Yep, same thing. I had Jaron, too. Uh, I agree. I, honestly, if we had only had three games – uh, like if we hadn't had the Pistons game last night, I think Tyus would have been uh, someone that I would have thought of picking because this was to me the Tyus emergence week and uh, of him uh, coming out and playing well. And obviously that might be um, kind of to, to Brantley's thoughts uh, in our quarterly um, podcast that just kind of the, the people around him kind of getting better as we get healthier. Uh, but uh, Tyus has had a great week. I also just a little shout out to Roddy. I think Roddy has had a really good quality week too. But again, this is the MVP, and I definitely think it's Jaron. No question. Uh, all you know, he didn't play in the Miami game. Uh, but honestly, you know, if you watch the game, Jaron is standing the entire game, screaming, especially the half when we're on defense on that side, screaming out looks, screaming out coverages. Uh, how to do the pick and rolls. So in that sense, I just, I think uh, you got to give it to Jaron. I mean, unbelievable. We were 30th. We were, we were the worst defensive team and now we're the sixth. It's crazy. Truly, truly astounding. Okay. Let's talk very briefly about the Western conference right now. We'll be back. Like I said, every week with that MVP of the week segment. And we thought it would be appropriate to take a few minutes, take a look at the Western conference, how things are, are standing because the Pelicans, as we mentioned at the top, are number one, 17 and eight. Grizzlies, number two, at 17 and nine. Suns, after a loss to the Pelicans last night, are at third in the conference, 16 and 10. Nuggets at four, 15 and 10. Kings, 14 and 10 at the fifth seed right there. And then Jazz rounding out the top six at 15 and 13. John, what is what is the thing that stands out to you the most about this this specific Western Conference standing as of December 10th? Yeah, I mean, so one, I mean, the the thing that really stands out is the Warriors at 11 being four, you know, being four and a half back. And then you have basically, you know, the Nuggets at fourth being two games back. So you have basically two games separating fourth and 11th. So you have a very, very bunched Western Conference. And really, honestly, the 11th team only being four and a half back uh, two months in the season shows just that the Western Conference is very bunched. We have yet to have anybody really go out. Obviously, the Pelicans being top, uh, you know, I, as someone who picked the under. And by the way, uh, you know, I'm I'm still not totally dismayed about that under pick. Uh, that's um, uh, just because you know Zion's health and other things. But so them being first obviously is the surprise. I think I think Grizzlies, Suns, Nuggets. Uh, are all teams I expected to be up there near the top. Kings at fifth is also pretty fun. Uh, that's, you know, we, we were high on the Kings. Uh, the big thing, I think, overall, though, is is interestingly with schedule strength, thinking through that. And and I will say that the Pelicans and Suns have both played very home-heavy schedules so far. I think have had very favorable schedules with schedule wins and playing some teams that were lacking health. Like, for instance, and the biggest example of that is the Pelicans have played the Warriors twice, and the Warriors rested their players both times. I don't know what the Warriors are doing. If I guess they're thinking maybe they want the Pelicans in first because they're going to finish eighth. <laughs> but I don't know what the Warriors are doing there. But that's, you know, obviously two wins that would be much more competitive. And so, so I'm feeling, I mean, personally, and I've been saying this, I feel very good about us because – I think, um, you know, we've kind of played a more balanced home away schedule, um, despite people saying we have, you know, kind of an easier home uh, early schedule. I think it's been a little more difficult than people realize. And, and I'm very excited. But, you know, we have some tests coming up to kind of test this out. But that's one thing is that I see the Pelicans and the Suns um, having had a very uh, a very home heavy, very easy schedule in that sense. Whereas the nuggets, you know, actually make me a little more nervous, even though I'm glad we have a game and a half lead on them just because they've played a very away heavy schedule. And so they're going to have a lot of home games coming up and, you know, uh, and I was in Denver last week and it, uh, in being in Denver always reminds me as I'm like out of breath, just walking across the parking lot <laughs> that it is, it is a hard place to play, um, in Denver. So 
those yeah. are just a few thoughts. It's just interesting to me looking at the spread here because you look down the list at the stars that are in the lower half right now of the conference. So you have the Timberwolves at eighth. You think about, and I'm thinking about the stars that are, are, are true veterans that have been around for a while. So you have Rudy Gobert on that team. Trailblazers, obviously Damian Lillard. Clippers, Kawhi, Paul George. Warriors, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. And the Lakers, of course, with LeBron James there. And just those five teams in particular. And then you look at the top with the Pelicans and the Grizzlies, Zion and Ja, the Suns with Devin Booker. You know, you have Chris Paul there, but he really hasn't played a ton of games this season so far. Jokic is still relatively young. You have the Young Kings. You have the Jazz with their their group of guys, and then the Mavericks rounding that out at seven with Luka. And I just think it's really interesting to look at the spread of ages and who's leading right now at the top in the West and who's falling. And so one thing to note, you know, the Pelicans are on a six-game win streak right now, and the Grizzlies are on a five-game win streak. Both of those are leading right now in the league. And so these two teams are hot. I'm very glad that we're hitting this easier stretch of the schedule in December with the guys that are injured. And if you look at our games relative to injury, I mean, we've we've gone over it week by week here. Yeah. It hasn't been the easiest road for us, even yeah. against every every opponent that we're playing still has NBA players. You still right. have no idea what when you're going to run into a team who's who has a shot variance advantage. And I think the Grizzlies are sitting in such a great spot right now. Yeah. I am on the record as not being worried about the Pelicans either. I do not know how their defense right now is top five with their personnel. Herb Jones is is great. Um, you know, their Zion is playing a little bit better. But when you have Jonas and Zion as your two front court guys, I, I like Nance off the bench defensively there too. I just can't see this defense being sustainable. Uh it is yeah. it it does worry me because that that indicates potentially some schemes that they're doing right now that are working but i want to see a bit more sample for their defense right. because right now it is without a defensive stalwart which alvarado's great too on the, right. on on the edges but you really need an interior defender to to hold down your defense for long stretches i feel like the grizzlies have the advantage there yeah well and and i mean it's an interesting i mean i'm you know it's funny how Zion was injured and the Pelicans played pretty well. Um, and then they did not play well when they had everybody. And then Ingram got injured. And now the Pelicans are playing pretty well. And I continue to think that that starting five that they put out there, um, kind of four um, below average defensive players and Herb Jones is not a winning combination. And, and if you, you know, and some, as someone, I've watched a lot of their games, um, obviously, cause I'm interested in what they're going to do with the, you know, as a kind of rival of the Grizzlies. And it's interesting how, yeah, their bench is really, it's the, it's the Trey Murphy's and uh, the Nances and the Alvarado's like, it's all those guys that are like, actually they're kind of their winning players for them. And so it's a kind of interesting thing they have going on where they're closing a lot of games with bench guys. And I just wonder how all that's going to look. I still just don't, trust Ingram and Zion together um in fact and then this winning streak it has been a Zion kind of point Zion uh thing and I that's just not going to work when Ingram comes back and so it's gonna be interesting to see how they do but I I will say I think still think a lot of it is the schedule um you know basically playing five or six more home games than away games and I think playing very favorable matchups and like I said getting weird things where good teams are resting players against them. So I, I think they're going to come back to earth a little bit, but we'll see. Yep. Um, okay. Let's get into talking about this week's games. We'll start, of course, as we do every week with guess who, what you got, John. Okay. So what player is a hundred percentile in usage um, and 99th percentile in assist percentage? In other words, so they're, they're high in usage and also their teams, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, have has the highest percentage basically in of, you know, getting assists off um, off of his passes. Wow. OK, this is interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> thinking through the opponents here, you have the Hawks, which Trey Young is, of course, going to be a high usage guy there. But the struggles have been noted in Atlanta, which we will talk about in just a few minutes. Milwaukee, you got to think Giannis is up there. Uh, Drew is on ball a lot. And then OKC, 
We have Shea as well there, who's on ball a ton. But 99% assist-to-usage ratio here. Oh, man. I'm trying to think down the roster, like One too, of the best in the league, basically. One, one of, of the, the best in the league. Yeah. Sometimes, too, I'm, I'm thinking about just strategy here in this Guess Who because sometimes we like to allude to former uh, Grizzlies players on this podcast. I don't think this is one of those because the only one I can think of is, is Grayson Allen, and I don't, I don't see him having 100 percentile no. usage. Another thing, too is that there are... Obviously, I'm stalling here, if you can't tell. Yes. Um, 100% talent usage. Was this per cleaning the glass, by the way? Uh, yes. Okay, so they, they do it relative to the position, yes. too. So let me think. Um, gosh. I'll, you know what? I'll go off the wall. I'll go to DeJounte Murray. No. So, um, no, do you want me to get let you have another guess? No, you, you go ahead. So, I, I've no, it is, you are, you are, it is Giannis. Okay. It is Giannis, um, because I was going to say... It's like I can give you a hint. He's sixth in rebounding and second scoring. <laughs> yeah, uh, would have gone Giannis. That would have got Giannis. Um, uh, but I find uh, one of the things that I found that interesting about is because um, is because Trey. I think in theory that is what you want to see from Trey Young. But in fact, uh, while he still definitely also has an 100 percent town usage, that the the Atlanta Hawks are more struggling um, with those categories for him, and they have not been playing. Uh, well and it's it's weird in Atlanta and so I thought that would be a good way to preview kind of what's coming up in the sense that you would think of you know um you think of Atlanta's offensive being like oh point guard you know basically and then people playing off of him but in fact they've been better with Deontay Murray and not with Trey Young on the floor and uh it's very so it's very interesting and then it's also just interesting that Giannis as a forward uh, has such a high assist percentage um with a high usage just you know as well as like you know being an amazing rebounder, being an amazing defender, yeah, being an amazing scorer. See, I knew that there was some success having Dejounte in the Atlanta lineup, lineup, which is why I ultimately went there. But I should I just take the low hanging yeah. fruit in the future because Giannis, I mean, he is truly playing at an MVP level right now. I know that they started really really hot, and he was his name was really far up there. And since, you know, they've they've suffered a few losses, but they're still second in the Eastern Conference, 16th in offense, second in defense is really where they hang their hat, and fifth in net rating. Atlanta, on the other hand, is 13-13. and 13. They're seventh in the Eastern Conference, 21st in offense, 13th in defense, 19th in net rating. I'd like to start with Atlanta because yeah. they're we're playing them on Monday. And one of the things to note is they're missing DeAndre Hunter. Yeah. They're missing John Collins. And honest, and Dejounte Murray is also hurt. Yeah, as he's well. question. He, I have a feeling he's going to be like a game time decision with that ankle. So they've the news out of Atlanta is that Trey Young recently actually just didn't show up to one of the games, and there was this feud between him and the coach. And there's a there's a lot right now brewing in Atlanta. I have a very strong feeling that it will end up with Nate McMillan gone before anything happens yeah, to Trey Young. Course, That's just yeah. kind of how the NBA works, uh, but. Interestingly enough, there hasn't necessarily been any positive press coming out, uh, whether anonymous or not, uh, supporting Trey in this whole scenario. Yeah. And so I always love to compare Ja and Trey in this respect because they're both point yes. guards leading their teams in, in, in markets down here in the Mid-South. And they also, to me, are two players that you can compare a lot. But to me, they're... Their emphasis on winning is completely, and their impact on winning is very different. The way that they do it, the way that culturally they interact with their team and are important to their organizations, to me, is is a great indicator of of the level of leaders that both of them yeah. are, and or lack thereof in in Trey's case. And I think we're catching Atlanta at a good time. I also love yes. that it's at home. I can't wait to boo Trey Young yes. in Memphis. No, I mean, I, I think we are catching them. Atlanta's always a weird group with us because it feels like we either blow them out or they blow us out. Uh, it's a, you know, they've, they've, we've had a weird history of games. I think I'm going to, uh, if I go to the game Monday, I think I am, I'm uh, not sure yet, but still have, you know, get a PTSD of, of watching him, watching jaw get carried off the, the court last year when I thought he might've tore his ACL so that always kind of uh, is a terrible memory to have, although it ended up, you know, beginning the beginning of that amazing streak that we went on uh, last year. But yeah, just total drama. I know that I've listened to multiple podcasts and read articles uh, with saying that, you know, if you polled the players 
that it would be in the Nate McMillan versus Trey that almost that it would be unanimous Nate McMillan, which is never a good sign for a guy for a team to be you know not fans of their point guard uh, and just a lot of drama going on. And I do think we're catching them at a good time in the sense that not only is all this drama going on, but they're missing probably two or three of their best of their you know top four or five rotation players probably um, you know and and I think and and last I checked John Collins is still in trade rumors uh, that place is just it is you know the Hawks are almost like the opposite of the Grizzlies in just every way in the sense that uh, they 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 went all in early uh, as opposed to do the patient development they uh, they leak like crazy. Whereas, you know, it is so hard to get news out of the Grizzlies. Um, so it's just a very interesting, and I know the Trey Luca jaw is going to be, you know, then we could go on and on about the, all those comparisons. And, uh, and, and right now for Trey, when you're not as good statistically as jaw or Luca, um, and you don't have kind of culture stuff to back you up, you know, you're in a strange place and he's had a really hard year. Um, his, he's, his usage is, I think is higher than last year, which is crazy because they, they gained DeJounte Murray to try to limit his usage and try to allow him to play off ball more. And he is not having a good shooting year. Like he normally does. He's, he's way down. I don't think that'll last. He's just too good of a shooter, but it has been interesting, you know, kind of how poorly he's shot, how inefficient of a player he's been this year. Yeah, I'd love for us to just come out hot, start shooting well, and then put this game away early because it is one that I think on paper mm-hmm. people just have the perception that Atlanta was in the conference finals as soon as two years ago. But the reality of this team is they're in a bad spot right now, are only 500. They're still just seventh in the East, but I think that speaks a little bit more to the to the East than anything mm-hmm. and just not a team that to me is very threatening right now. No, and I almost, I almost hope if – if we see that a lot of players are out from the Hawks, I almost, I sort of almost want to, even if he can play to just rest Adams, because I think we should be a team that can beat the Hawks, the the injured Hawks without Adams. I think the marquee game of the week to me is against yeah. Milwaukee. It's just because it's the only time they're going to be in FedEx forum. You need to go and see Giannis if you haven't live before, because it is just a sight to behold. Uh, Chris Middleton also is back for them, so it's going to be a very competitive game. We also have a couple of rest days in between, which I I uh, appreciate, especially with this Adams injury, because I think uh, rebounding is going to be really important here. Brooke Lopez, solid on defense. Uh, Drew Holiday always plays job pretty well, uh, but it'll be... I, I'm really intrigued to see where Dylan ends up, I think he'll probably just end up on Middleton. It's the most obvious fit defensively there. And Middleton's been playing okay. He's just not peak Middleton right now. So I'd like to see Dylan shut the water off and then just see what we can do scheme-wise against Giannis. You can only hope to contain him. But at the same time, I think this is a matchup that hopefully Ja gets up for against another uh, guy in the MVP conversation. And uh, hopefully we can score on this Bucks defense because it's, it's difficult. It's but difficult. I'm also looking for, for Jaron to have kind of a, a unicorn versus unicorn yes. game. So that'll be really fun to watch on yes, Thursday night. That'll be fun to watch. I mean, I, I think the, you know, we're probably, we're the two teams that actually sort of play two bigs, start two bigs like this. And so it would be, it's really fun. I hope that, you know, obviously we're not going to have Bane, but I hope that we're fully healthy besides that. And it should be, it's a great test of kind of where are we, um, you know, sort of in the pecking order. Uh, you know, this is, you know, if, this should be a game that they have circled as opposed to what we were talking about this week with, with playing teams like Detroit and OKC and needing Jenkins to call timeouts and yell at us. I don't think there's going to be need to be any yelling to get us up for a, for a game against the Bucks. You know, a team that we hope we're playing in the NBA Finals. And, uh, you know, and I think it's always fun. You also have the, the Jenkins-Coach-Bud relationship there. And, uh, and we've, you know, we have played the Bucks well uh these last few years and so I'm really really looking forward to this game they have the Warriors at home right before uh this on Tuesday it's not a back-to-back but they do have one less day of rest and my assumption is they're going to want to beat the Warriors just because it's a big brand yes defending champ and so I'm hoping they use much much of their emotional capital in that game and then Memphis is sort of a, a trap game in there. Right. Uh, the last game Saturday night is OKC. I feel like we've talked about them enough. Yeah. They're eleven and fourteen right now, just not looking great. Would love to see uh, Dylan shut off Shea just yeah. yet again. My my only worry about that game is the letdown. Uh, kind of similar to what you're talking about with the Bucks. Yeah, uh, playing trap the game for us for sure. It's a trap game for us. We've already beaten them twice, 
But uh, but anyway, but you know, we should come in and take care of business with them. All right, big week ahead. Remember, if you want to get your thoughts on the show, grizdenpod at gmail.com. Also visit grizden.com for it's not too late to put in your Christmas orders. Uh, the the Christmas tacky sweater is my personal favorite item in it's the great. store right now. So uh, grab that before all the holiday parties are finished so you can rock that to your latest event. John, it's been a it's been a fun week of Grizzlies basketball. It's nice to have one of these every once in a while, just a couple games that we feel good about. Uh, just bank two wins and look ahead to a really fun week ahead. So, for John, I'm Will. We will talk to you next week then.